Matthew chapter 2, we're in this series, uh, uh, walking through verse by verse the, uh, through the book of Matthew, and been looking at the birth of the king. Matthew 2, as we sang, Christ the Savior is born, Matthew makes it a very simple statement. He just says, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod. Luke gives us lots of details on how that happened. Matthew just makes a statement. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the time of King Herod, magi or wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ, or Messiah, was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense or frankincense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So what do you get for the person who has everything? You probably have heard that question this time of year. What do you get for the person who has everything? Well, if you Google that because you're having trouble, you're going to find all kinds of lists Lists of 38 or 43 or 44 or 52 or 35 or 71 or 51 or 36, and that's just on the first page of Google searches, of lists of the things that you could possibly get for the person who has everything. And if you looked at any of those lists, you would find that all of them are absolutely worthless. Because the person who has everything doesn't need anything. Gift-giving ideas can be really hard to come up with, can't they? Especially when the person that you're buying for has everything, or if they don't have everything, has the means to get whatever they could ever want in this world. More than a celebrity or a wealthy businessman or a professional athlete, Jesus is the one who has everything. He's the owner of all things. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. What could we 
what could the Magi possibly give to the one who has everything? Like the Magi who brought gifts. There are a couple gifts this morning that we can bring to Jesus. On this Christmas morning, as we give gifts to others, there are gifts that we can bring both today and every day of our lives. Gifts that are fit for a king. But first, let's just recap this story. Jesus, again, Matthew just says he was born in Bethlehem in Judea, the city of David. For the one, as we looked at in this first message, in the line of David. So important that it is in Bethlehem, the city of David, because Jesus, the one in the line of David, born in the city of David, would sit and will sit and rule on the throne of his father, King David, forever and ever and ever. Magi, or wise men, from the east, and something that I find really interesting is there are theories that these magi were astrologers, wise men, from Babylon, from the east. And then what's important about that and what's interesting about that is there was a guy named Daniel who was taken as part of the captives, taken off to Babylon and had all kinds of interactions with astrologers, those who looked at the stars when King Nebuchadnezzar or others had dreams and they couldn't figure out what it was and they asked all the wise men to come in and to help and it was only Daniel with the help of the Lord who could give the interpretation of those dreams. Wouldn't it be interesting, and this is purely conjecture, but wouldn't it be interesting if the influence of Daniel who everyone knew his God, even in Babylon, who was opposed to the worship of God, even in Babylon, if these wise men had been influenced several hundred years earlier by Daniel. I don't know. I'd kind of like to think it's true. But one way or another, there were these wise men, most likely astrologers who paid attention to the sky, who were waiting for something. Gentile wise men, Gentiles, not Jews, who were waiting for something, looking for something, and they finally see something in the heavens that wasn't there before. They see a star, and they say, we have to go because this represents the birth, the birth of a king, the king of the Jews. And so they set out on a journey, and they come to King Herod in Jerusalem, Where would you go? You would go where the king was. You would go where the capital was. You would go to Jerusalem. And we're told in verse 3 that King Herod and all of Jerusalem was disturbed or confused. The original hearers would have understood this to have the idea of what does this mean? As these magi come and say, we are coming looking for the king of the Jews, King Herod and all of Jerusalem were thrown into confusion, into wonder. What could this mean? If these men are coming to look for the king of the Jews, what could this mean? So Herod does something. He calls in the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asks them, where is the Messiah, the king, the deliverer? Where is he to be born? 
And the chief priests and the teachers of the law who know so well the prophecies tell King Herod in Bethlehem in Judah, and they quote Micah 5 too. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. And so Herod secretly gets the Magi and says, go and make a careful search. And when you find him, if you find him, report back to me because I want to worship him as well. I can kind of imagine this. We like Star Wars in our house. And I can kind of imagine King Herod like Emperor Palpatine saying this, as soon as you find him, report to me that I too may worship him, right? You can see Herod, the evil guy, doing this. That was a bad Palpatine, I'm sorry. But I, it's the best I got. It's the best I got. But I can kind of see, I, I, whether he said it like that, probably not. But that was his intent. That was his intent. Go find him and report back to me because I want to worship him. But we know that wasn't what he wanted to do. He wanted to eliminate him. Later on, in chapter 2, we're told that Herod had all the children, two years and under, killed. The Magi go, and they find the child, and they find Mary, and they present their gifts, and warned in a dream. They don't go back to Herod. They go home another way. This is the account Matthew has of the birth and the life in the first couple years after Jesus was born. I want us to see just a few things. There are brief sermon notes in your bulletins. But I want us to see first two contrasts and then a response for us this morning. So from this account, we want to see the contrast of two kings. We see two kings in this. We see first King Herod. King Herod was the puppet king. He was in deep with Rome, who were the occupiers. Rome would find local leaders who knew the people, who knew the culture, to be able to enforce Rome's rule in exchange for wealth and in exchange for power. Herod was not devoted to the Lord in any way because when he was trying to figure out what was going on, it says that he called the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. Not his. He wasn't following him. He was a man who was not devoted to the Lord in any way. He was a man who was evil to the point of being willing to kill the children under two in verse 16 of chapter 2, which we'll see after 40 days of prayer. In order to keep his rule, he was a king who was willing to use his power to benefit not anyone else but himself, even if it meant death for others. Contrast that with another king, with King Jesus. The king of glory who humbled himself, becoming vulnerable Stepping into our dark world, 
taking on human flesh, taking on the form of a servant and becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross, Philippians tells us. He came to bring life. Where others, where Herod brought death, Jesus came to bring life. And he came fully submitted to God. Where Herod was not in any way submitted to God, Jesus came fully submitted to God. That we might have life in this life and for eternity. Where Herod took it, Jesus gave it. We see the contrast in the story of two very different kings. There's another contrast that we see, and that is the contrast of responses. There are three responses to Jesus. The first response we see in this passage, in this story, is rejection. Herod rejected Jesus, threatened by another king, King Jesus. He rejected the rule of God very, very strongly. Even after finding out that God's Messiah was born. Understand that Herod understood this. He understood, he understood that there was a Messiah coming. That's why he called the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He understood this. And even when he understood that God's promised Messiah was born, he rejected God so strongly and he fought to preserve his power so staunchly that he ultimately was willing to go to the point of death for others. Rejection. Rejection of God. Second response we see is apathy. The chief priests and the teachers of the law knew the scriptures. They knew the prophecies. When King Herod brought them in, they didn't need to go diving into the scroll books. They didn't need, like me, to go to figure out what do you get for people who have everything. They didn't need to go to Google. They knew it all. They had the scriptures so well memorized. They knew better than anyone that if the Magi were indeed seeing a star that was representing the birth of the king of the Jews. They knew better than anyone where to go find him. They knew that the king, the promised deliverer, was coming. But what did they do? They didn't even go to investigate it. Can you imagine? You are the spiritual leaders of a nation. And the thing that you know God has promised to do that he is going to send a Messiah deliverer. And when some who come from a far off land to come find the king of the Jews, and you have, are able to tell them where to go look, and you don't even take the time to investigate, how much apathy was present. That the one that they were waiting for looking for they didn't even take time to look for you see knowledge without faith or without a humble heart or without a hunger will lead to apathy at best these men who knew everything who had all the knowledge that was needed and yet 
did not pursue the king. Apathy. Third response to contrast is a response of consecration and worship. We see it in the Magi. These Magi, these wise men, lived with some sense of expectation. They had to go and find the king of the Jews when they saw the star. At this stage, scholars believe that Jesus was anywhere between 13 months and two years old when the Magi show up. So for all of the Christmas cards and stories where the Magi come to the manger, that's just not true. The shepherds go to find the baby in the manger. The Magi find the child and his mother. He's at least 13 months old and all the way up to two because Herod wants all the children from two years under to be killed. So somewhere in here, 13 months to two years, which means that it took those magi anywhere between 13 months and two years to go to find the king. This would not have been an easy journey. This would have been over rugged terrain. This would have been long and difficult. But it was motivated by something. It was motivated by a deep desire and by a deep devotion. They were consecrated men, fully given to see the king. The dedication of these men to travel that far to find the king. A consecrated, dedicated, fully devoted life to God. And when they came, they came with worship. They brought gifts of worship. They brought gold, the most precious metal that would be fit for a king. They brought incense or frankincense, which was the oil that was constantly being used by the priests in their ministry in the temple to God. It was a prophetic gift. It was a gift that foretold what Jesus was going to be all about. The priests would stand and would minister day after day before the Lord, reckon, or ministering on behalf of the people before God to keep relationship with God through the sacrifices and through the offerings, to stand on behalf of the people to bring them into the relationship with God that they needed. And so here is Jesus, the one who came to reconcile us to God, to make peace with God. Jesus, the priest. Making that reconciliation possible through his death on the cross. Which is why they brought myrrh. Myrrh was the oil that was used for anointing and preparing dead bodies. Another prophetic gift that this young child would experience death but would experience death for the salvation of the world.
Jesus was born to save his people, to save us from our sins. And so you see the contrast of these three responses. Rejection, apathy, consecration, and worship. And it brings us to the place on this Christmas morning where we get to make our decision. Where we get to choose our response. Will it be rejection? I would guess that if you are here today, (laughs) that your response to Jesus is not rejection, like Herod's was. But I also realize and recognize that you may be here this morning because that's what you do on Christmas morning, or someone drug you along against your will. And in your heart, you may be here and you may be singing. You may be hearing the, song, the, the words of the birth of Jesus, but in your heart, you are opposed to the king. You are opposed to Jesus. You are opposed to the one who became a child to bring peace between God and man. I pray this morning that that's not your response of rejection to Jesus. Your response may be apathy. You may be like those chief priests and teachers of the law. You may know all about Jesus, but you're apathetic towards him. Your faith is just kind of blah. How do you know if your faith is just kind of blah? Well, if you have passion for a lot of other things in life, but for Jesus, your passion level pales in comparison. If he's in your life view, but he's pretty far on the periphery, he's pretty far on the outside. If you're like the religious leaders who you know so much, but when it comes to making effort, you're willing to make effort for many other things but to seek the face of God, to spend time in his word, to spend time in prayer, to spend time with other believers. Your effort is not as much. It may be that you are apathetic to Jesus. The good news this morning is that even if your heart action and your heart attitude is rejection, or if it is attitude, there is a solution to this. There is a remedy to this, and that is what the Magi did, consecration and worship. Like the Magi, a life fully given to Jesus, consecrated. It's like the story of the man who was very into contracts, and knew that he needed to make a contract with God for his life. So he took a blank piece of paper and he signed his name on the bottom and he dated it. And he brought it to an altar like this at his local church and he bowed before the Lord and he took that piece of paper and he laid it on the altar and he told the Lord in prayer, I've already signed my life and I've dated it this day and everything above it is blank. You get to fill in 
everything. My life is yours. My life is devoted to you. My answer is already yes. That's a consecrated life. That's a life devoted. It doesn't mean that we're always going to do it perfectly. And you may be saying, well, i got to get some things in order first before I can do that and that and that. Can I just say the biggest issue is, will he have your yes? And if he has your yes, Jesus, the King of Kings, will work with that. You don't have to have all your things in order first before you say, here's my life, here's my consecrated life. It's simply saying, to the best that I can, this is what I'm saying. I offer you my life. And Jesus loves nothing more than the gift of a life consecrated to him. He'll work with that. And he can do amazing things with a life where even not perfection, we just say, here's my life. Like the old hymn, take my life and let it be consecrated, dedicated, Lord, to thee. When we're in that place, worship is our response. These magi knew that there was something special about this baby, this child, this king, the king of the Jews. And they brought gifts of worship. We lifted up this morning words and songs of worship that come from our heart, declaring his worth, adoring him. Paul says in Romans 12 that our greatest act of worship is that consecrated life of giving in view of God's mercy. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. What does the king of kings, the one who has everything, what is the one thing he doesn't have? Our lives. He gives us the freedom to offer or not offer. And this morning, on this Christmas morning, I trust that the gift that you give to him, the one who has everything, is you. Your consecrated life, your worship of the one who's worthy. We're gonna sing one more song in a moment, but before we do, I'm gonna ask Mara to come, and she's gonna lead us just in a a time of prayer, a prayer response together this morning. Uh, that we would be able to apply this prayer time or this message um, in a way that would allow us to encounter this child, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I am so grateful that we don't serve a king like Herod or a corrupt political leader, but that we serve King Jesus. Amen? Amen. Um, and, you know, just as Pastor Mark was sharing and as, you know, he was talking about the Magi giving gifts and, um, you know, some of these hymns from so long ago, I was reminded of the song Little Drummer Boy. You know, it talks about this poor kid and says he has nothing to bring. And he goes, oh, I don't have any gift to give, but the one thing that I can give is this beat on a drum, right? Is this passion, this excitement. And so just as we consider going to prayer, how exciting is it that we go to speak directly to our king, to our father, to our friend, that the Holy Spirit is here with us 
even now as we're sitting here getting ready to go home and do all of the busyness that comes with Christmas Day. Um, but I just want to encourage us first to take a moment. Would you all just bow your heads and um, just take whatever posture is comfortable for you in prayer, whether it's receiving, um, having your eyes closed, your hands together, whatever. Um, and I'm sure that many of us in this room here on Christmas haven't fully rejected the Lord. But I'm reminded that there are often areas in our lives where we do choose to reject Jesus or we do have apathy towards the word of God. So I would just ask that you would take a moment to pray on your own and ask the Holy Spirit to show you any area where you have ignored the guidance of God, where you have rejected the path that he set for you, or maybe a place where you have just been apathetic or disinterested in pursuing Jesus. Let me just take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that. And as these things come to mind, Jesus calls us to turn away from our sin and to repent of it. And so just take a moment to do that before the Lord, if anything has come to your mind. surely the most glorious thing about our relationship with God is that we don't need to sit in shame for any areas that may have been brought up. We don't need to be filled with regret, but we can take these areas where God is working in our lives and we can choose to consecrate all of ourselves to him and we can turn that to worship. So just lead us in a closing prayer, and then we'll go into that time of worship together. Lord God, we are so thankful for you. Lord, we gather on this Christmas morning to exalt the name of Jesus, the one born into the most humble of circumstances, and yet he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That was true the moment that he was born as he lived this life and in his death and resurrection. Lord, we take this special day to remember that. Lord God, in every area of our lives, would you teach us how to follow you well? Lord, don't let us reject you. Don't let us live in apathy, Lord. 
but light a fire within us, God. May we burn with passion for you. May the thing that we get most excited for every morning when we wake up until the time that we go to bed be the best way that we can worship you and follow you in this life until you come back for us. Lord God, may that start just today in little ways as Lord, you slowly form us into the image that you have for us more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Lord, we praise you and we thank you and we are so excited to worship you together on this beautiful day. In Jesus' name we pray.